Welcome back to The Consequences Podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. So carrying on our side-by-side analysis, if we can be that pompous, Paul. We can be, it's the internet, it's what we want. (laughs) Yeah, kicking off with Sleeping Earth, which I've grown to enjoy and appreciate sort of in, in, in adulthood, if you like. But as a, as a 16-year-old picking up the album from the record library in Wellingborough, taking it home, banging my headphones on and desperately wanting to share it with my chums. And uh, as I've mentioned already, you know, uh, my friends Chris and Steve uh, were fellow acolytes of the thing, listening to it in our orchard, sitting on our log in the dark. Uh, it's interesting that I s- managed to squeeze consequences on a C90, even though the thing's about, what, 110 minutes long or something? Yeah. And I wonder if you can guess what, what tracks I, I deleted off my tape of it. Uh, well, clearly Sleeping Earth. Yeah, which you'll is... be horrified, actually, because the, the other two of, oh. of, uh, are among my favourite okay, songs well, of the whole s- thing now. Sleeping Earth could justifiably be called the Revolution 9 of consequences. Yeah, it went. Yeah, it, it went. It went. Oh, what else? Well, part of Blint's tune, I suppose. Some of the movements, one to seventeen. I think I kept all that. Oh, okay. Um, I think you'll be horrified. I guess it must be one of the songs then, because you are a huge fan of of side one, and I know you love uh, the flood. Yeah, so uh, I kept the flood. You didn't get rid of Honolulu. I did. There's something that must have irritated me then, back then, when I was a kid. I also, you, you won't believe this, and I, I apologise to every single fan of the record who's ever lived, Lost Weekend. No. I did. That's shameful. Yeah, yeah. And now I've got half a dozen Sarah Vaughan albums. I absolutely <laughs> love her voice. I love the song. Yeah, so shame on me. But I was 16, you yeah. know. I was still learning as a listener. <laughs> But, and I just about managed to squeeze the thing on, onto a C90. It, it did the trick. It, it convinced a couple of my mates to love it as well. So anyway, we, we sort of digressed already, which is very typical of the way things have gone so far. Yes, yeah, Sleeping Earth. It, uh, it, it drags a bit, doesn't it? It does a bit. It's got that great central... Dun, 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 <sighs> menacing theme, which, which is held back for a few minutes, and that, that's a good, uh, you know... Uh, a dramatic move. Uh, Sleeping Earth is obviously, as we'll go on to find out in the, on the next side, it is is um, Stapleton kipping basically. Yeah, the, and, the we, and, we, and we hear Walter uh, asleep for quite a lot of the album, don't we? Later on, yeah, he reprises his his uh, his role as 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 the Sleeping Earth. One thing which interests me about Sleeping Earth, because it's really diametrically opposed from the track Channel Swimmer, which I love, which mm. is a Godley Goldman composition. That's on one of the reissues, isn't it? On the original yeah, it was, soundtrack, is uh, that yeah, it was a B side of Life Is a Minestrone, I yeah. think, and uh, n- no idea why why that track never made it onto the original soundtrack. Mm. But but I digress. If you listen to that song, which is a lovely, uh, beautifully melodic and, and inviting piece of music, yeah, um, the rhythm guitar track, uh, which must be played by Lowell, is almost identical to the um, sort of the bed of the guitar that he's providing in Sleeping Earth. Yeah, it's there. So we'll have a listen to that. (laughs) 
interesting you say that and just again just for the sake of uh, controversy paul oh okay how about this for an idea i think sleeping earth might be a kev godley solo piece okay and he's always almost proudly says i don't play an instrument right. well he blooming well does doesn't he i mean he's, he's playing all sorts of percussion instruments on there. There's vibes and, you know, kind of glockenspiel right. type thing. Oh, he's a fantastic drummer, but he's talking about a chordal yeah, instrument. but how about he, he picked up a guitar and just found a little, a simple two-part arpeggio? Could be. He, well, he could have done. It just, it, it just feels very, very Kev Godley to me. I think it's, it's quite inventive. I like the subtlety of the percussion track. And the more I listen to it, the more I realise just how clever the the premise of the track is. Because the lead vocal is is just basically Kev snoring away, isn't it? Yeah. But what I think is really, really clever is that the, the, the volume of the track varies at precisely the same moment that the snores get louder or quieter. Oh yes, everything everything is is, is attached. It follow, it follows yeah. exactly as you say. It follows what the snoring's doing. And I've been trying to get my head around this for, for ages. You know, how did they do that? It, it's all, the, the the changes in volume are almost too sudden for it to just be a sudden sort of surge on a, on the, on the volume fader. On the fader, right? And I wonder if they had some kind of contraption, maybe some kind of like a noise gate in reverse. Mm-hmm. that basically just raised or lowered the, the overall level of the track at the exact moment where Kev's snoring became quiet or loud. Could be. You it's reckon a very it's, clever trick. You reckon it's happening. It can't be... It's, it couldn't be played like that. The, 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 the dynamics are moving too quickly, it's, you think? It's definitely, it's an overall volume level okay. just being, okay. being raised or, 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 or lowered. And I think the changes are happening too quickly and instantaneously with the snoring for right. it to be just you know, three blokes smoking hash in a studio, kind of, <laughs> oh, my turn on the fader. I don't know. It's, they were it, doing it, that as well, perfect. weren't they? But the key thing, and this struck me the last time I listened to it, the key thing that I appreciate about Sleeping Earth, apart from when, when the gizmo comes in, which is extraordinary in, in my mind, it's that in connecting the volume of the track to the volume of the snoring mm-hmm. what they're basically creating is this living organic beast called earth right so the track and the snoring are all part of the same living breathing snoring creature can you see yeah, what i'm completely. saying there? and that must that's what they were going for I'm absolutely sure. and it's uh, I, I really admire that that premise goes on for a bit i think it kind of has to you know you were talking about that moment that you wait for that and you get nervous waiting for it in the same way that you wait for the the i want me well no i was going to say i um i want you on on uh, abbey road by the beatles when you're waiting for it to stop 
yeah. and you get scared waiting for it. Yeah. Uh, and this is a, you know, this huge, you know, uh, combustion of sound is coming and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. It's great. And, and that's, that's, that's one of the reasons it has to be a bit of a longer track, I think. It's brilliant. And I love the way those, the, those deep gizmos build up at the end of Sleeping Earth as well. I especially like the bit where it goes, <laughs> and, and that is like, that sounds to me like an earthquake, like the two plates yeah, scraping against each other, right. ready to split the, the, the ground in two. Right. It's really evocative, I think. It is. I must say, this is. We've talked already <coughs> about the being able to visualise somehow so clearly what's happening in the other tracks. Yeah. I, I, this doesn't paint as much of a visual picture for me. I, I can't quite get the same clarity of the viewpoint of the, of the observer that I do in some of the other tracks. But I, that's just me. You've got a point, and this is something else I've thought about. I think Earth is a perhaps a more difficult concept to get across in music than than air, fire or water. That's very perceptive of you. Yeah. And rather uh, unexpected in a G major. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I see myself more as an E flat, actually. <laughs> for, uh, but we'll come on to that in, in, uh, at another point. Uh, with the burial scene, clearly, the, 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 you know, the, the chap's in the ground. Yeah. So that's a, a, a very, very sort of direct symbolism isn't it of earth but you know how do you sound like the earth right and it, it and it's it strikes me that it's usually done with with percussion yes is it is that a more earthy sound i guess it is isn't it mm. We're both huge Brian Wilson fans, Beach Boys fans. You've stolen and, my thought, Paul. Okay, well, please, you're going to talk <laughs> no, no, about... No, no, you're gonna, no, no. You're going to talk about the elements. Smile. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a thought. With consequences, do you think that Godling Cream finished a job that, that Brian Wilson failed to, to complete with Smile? Yeah, utterly. And I've never heard that connection made before. Um, for those uh, that, that are unaware of it um the unreleased uh, album that was going to follow pet sounds smile by the beach boys had as one of its centerpieces what was called the element suite which was going to be a depiction in sound of the four elements um only one was completed all all the music was unreleased at the time mm. but uh, the fire section mrs o'leary's cows it was called was mm. was recorded by brian and completed um, the other three... What a Grammy for him. When it was latterly yeah. uh, released many, many years later. Yeah.
the other elements. A lot of conjecture amongst Beach Boys fans <laughs> what, what bits and fragments of recordings were intended to go with which element. Yeah. Um, but uh, although smile was known as this lost album a very very few people would have known about the contents of the album in the mid 70s do you think it's even a possibility that godly and cream were aware of the element sweet from smile or or not i bet they'd heard of it i think so yeah because they'd have been reading they'd have been reading all all those sort of quite well-known articles in melody maker and nme or whatever nick Cohn and people like that Okay. I'm sure they must have heard about it, but of course nobody would have actually heard the music. Not right. at that not at that stage. But I've always I've always enjoyed that little link yeah. between well, let's face it, two of our, our huge musical heroes, you of know, course. Brian Wilson, Godling Cream. There's definite parallel there. And there's lots of Beach Boys influence throughout N C C and uh, Godling Cream's music, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. All, all four at N T C were hugely influenced by the yeah. Beach Boys. Yeah. So yeah, coming out of, of uh, Sleeping Earth, you got this track that um, I, you know, rejected on my my C ninety as a kid. One of my favourite individual songs on Consequences now, Honolulu Lulu. Good, you've learned to love it. Oh, I, I really have. Uh, maybe my reluctance to it for years was because I'm not a big fan of of songs from the shows shall we say. Right. And I think it's, it's a brilliant pastiche of, of South Pacific-type musicals. There is nothing like a day Nothing in the world There is nothing you can name That is anything like a day Happy talky talking happy talk Talk about things you like to do You got to have a dream If you don't have a dream How you gonna have a dream come true? Goodbye, wipe the tear, baby dear, from your eye. Though it's hard to part, I know I'll be tickled to death to go. Don't cry, don't sigh. There's a silver lining in. I really, I love the cleverness of that. And um, I mean, we can we can talk about the song in general. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Paul. But I've got some some thoughts on where Honolulu Lulu fits thematically. What are your thoughts? Well, the, the song itself um, is probably the most work-intensive song uh, Kevin Lawler ever recorded. Uh, going back to this uh, press kit for Consequences that I dug out on the internet, uh, Side 2 as a whole took four months to record, so they were speeding up because they took six wow. months on Side 1. Four months. Um, but six weeks of that was spent recording Honolulu Lulu. Yeah, that, that's documented. And that There's is, a million vocals on it. There is. It's a long time to spend on what essentially is a three-minute pop song, 
And uh, yeah, you're completely right. It's the Dean and I squared in terms of <laughs> Rogers and Hammerstein. And uh, it's, it's way more South Pacific than Dean and I, Mr. Stewart. Yeah, that's right. So he wouldn't. He probably would have enjoyed this. It, it, even less. I mean, even lyrically, of course, it, it, it sounds like, uh, you know, a South Pacific um, uh, connection. Yeah. I, lo- I love that aspect. It's very World War Two, isn't it? Yeah. And, and for me, it harks back to to two main, perhaps two main inspirations. One is is South Pacific itself, which uh, I believe is set in 1943, on a somewhere in the West Pacific, I think. South Pacific. Yeah, or no, Southwest Pacific, near near Asia is okay. what, what I'm saying. And also, I think there's a. It harks back to the Pearl Harbor invasion as well. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing some digging around. I was, I was trying to see if there was actually a hurricane called Lulu. Oh, good call. And I don't think there was. Okay. And I really assumed it. So maybe Godling Cream just stole the song title from the, that Jan and Dean uh, hit from oh, the early 60s. Hang on, I'm not worried yeah. of that. There's a song called Honolulu Lulu. Yeah, well, let's have a quick listen. It's quite annoying, I'll warn you now. Queen of the Surfer Girl She's got stars in her eyes and knots on her knees now Her crazy grass ship really sways in the breeze now Riding down a heavier lion in the sand She's a hippo surfer girl in the land And she's mine Honolulu She's mine So maybe it's just a kind of a cheeky steal of the title. So yeah, one of the reasons I think there's a Pearl Harbor thing is that there's a very much a, a kind of military invasion element to the to the, the the narrative of the song. But looking around Wikipedia, which I've done an awful lot since we started this podcast, <laughs> for, uh, it turns out that Lulu is Arabic for pearl, and mm. uh, Honolulu, the, the the name Honolulu is Hawaiian for sheltered harbour. So there's a, a sense somehow that there's the, all these poor people who are about to be hit by this massive hurricane who are, you know, running for shelter. But there's, there's a lovely, a lovely, almost romantic but sinister uh, dynamic going on in this song where, I'm not sure if you've picked up on this as well, Paul, I'm sure you must have done. There's almost like a male-female a sinister flirtation going on here. You've got the male voices going, hello, which I think is just such a beautiful motif. Yeah. And then it, there's a call and response with female voices. Right. Sung, I think, by Lol and Kev, but sped up. Right. So you've got this this backwards and forwards male and female. You've got the the sort of the fact that Honolulu Lulu is a female hurricane in theory because she's got a female name. You've got the the blokes mobilising, you know, as the, the army 
mobilising against the enemy, this hurricane coming in. You've got the, the female voices sort of talking about the pandemonium of the kamikaze, the kamikaze rickshaws and everything. So you've yeah. got that a Japanese sort of theme. Yes. And again, that makes me think of Pearl Harbor. Right. And I love, I, I can, when I listen to the track, I can really picture it on the stage. I can picture, you know, the sort of um, camp sailors uh, and and women in Japanese dress or the, Hawaiian dress. And the marching boots, there's kind of multi, <laughs> multi-track <laughs> foot stamps yeah. at one point. Yeah. Which reminds me of the, late, the later track, uh, Mobilisation, where right. you've got very much, it's a kind of a, uh, an army waiting to sort of fight the enemy. And I love that kind of visual drama uh, that dots around for, for all over the place. Very much in that musical tradition, I can so see it on the stage. really interesting um it, it is uh, yeah the, the pinnacle of their uh their musical influence is coming out uh after consequences uh this this idea of of the the musicals which which influenced i think it was mainly it was it was lol rather than kev from mm. what i've read uh dean and i somewhere in hollywood uh, um uh one night in in paris and yeah. and, and, and others i can't think uh uh of a track after this that that uses that genre as, as strongly they'd kind of they kind of moved away from that i don't know whether you can think of anything on l freeze frame or after well maybe it's this that, sporting life is very visual isn't it? i love that track right but it doesn't have the rogers and hammerstein no that, uh, that, that sort of style that quite campy style yeah yeah and even I mean, the musical you know the richard rogers uh, musical references or mm. musical motifs yeah. or use of use of you know harmony etc yeah. that and, seems to recede and and that that use of bad harmony when the blokes are going oh no uh, and it's yeah. deliberately out of tune cuz it it sounds like you a bunch of, of sailors in a row yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, with their <laughs> flared trousers and, and and funny hats kind of uh, with their arms folded in defiance I love it. I think it's a, it's so clever. I'm glad you persevered and, and learned to love it. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's one of the masterpieces on I, the record. I think now. they'd appreciate it at spending six weeks on it at 17 <laughs> hours a day. That's, that's a lot of work. Yeah, definitely. I think another really clever thing about the, the song is that, that, that the sort of jolliness, if I can call it, of the, of the delivery of the, of the vocals especially is at odds completely with the subject matter. You know, these are, this is a whole island that's going to be just smashed to bits by a hurricane. Obliterated, yeah. Yeah. 
so there's a, a kind of grim humour there somehow. And also, uh, I love I mean, one of the one of the special things about consequences, and I think we we sort of mentioned it, or you mentioned it briefly, Paul, a couple of, of podcasts ago, is that I love the fact that Lulu, the character, the French prostitute who's getting divorced from from Walter Stapleton, she echoes the main one of the main refrains from the song later on. Oh, how how does that work? Well. The hurricane is saying, here I come. And when Lulu's jumping yeah, uh, uh, jumping say. into the hole, she says, here, I am coming. That's a good spot. Yeah. So it, it, it's very, very subtle. I think uh, Peter Cook must have felt really good about uh, writing that bit. That's a really good spot. It's a really nice tie-in with, with, the, with the original song. Yes, Mr. Pepperman, your body will form a nice soft cushion for the later fallers. <laughs> yes, definitely black. Do you want to talk about the flood? Yeah, sure. We've we've done quite a lot on the flood, haven't we? So, well, you 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 lead it. Um... Yeah, we talked a lot, didn't we, about the the amazing way that. Kevin Lowell built a rhythm track for the flood using the hands in, in a, I don't know, a sink or something or a bath of water, just splashing it backwards and forwards, starting with small splashes and then getting bigger and bigger and bigger, longer and louder. And then that superb trick of dropping the plasticine into the bucket. Yeah. Playing them back at different pitches so that they you, you get different sounds and then they stitch them all together in perfect time which must have taken forever to do because they would have actually physically had to cut the tape and then glue it back together at exactly the right time yeah you know in space cake uh and and kevin as as we've as we've said has a a pretty complex relationship with consequences i think he's warming up to it as he is yeah i'm getting that i'm getting that sense Uh, as well in space cake he's particularly proud of the drum roll of water droplets reducing in frequency he mentions that little sequence so that would have taken days yeah just that one bit right yeah no definitely Similar to the, the painstaking way they'd have recorded the that pad of vocals in "I'm Not in Love," you know, with with probably twelve, I think it's twelve tape loops, yep. sort of creating a, a, a bed. Yeah, incredible ingenuity. They've got amazing patience, and we've we've talked as well about the the brilliant way that the flood builds to that crescendo yeah and and it's an, there's a that that central riff that guitar riff is is pretty strong isn't it yeah and there's a lovely wah-wah guitar in there as well really trebly mm. uh and it's it's nice to hear you know some conventional instruments yeah uh, you know because it, it, the the listener is asked to do a lot during the first two sides of consequences <laughs> it's 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 worth the investment but it is quite demanding so yeah. It's nice to be back on familiar ground and, and just hear, uh, you know, a rock, a rock combo. Definitely.
you agree with me that it's a it's a close cousin to second sitting for the Last Supper? Yes. Now you mention it, yeah, I've never thought of that before. Yeah, so it's one of the more ten cc pieces, isn't it? Once it gets into kind of familiar rock territory. Yeah. And you've got you've got ten cc type guitar sounds as well, the kind of Eric Stewart signature sounds. Yeah, although again, one thinks, well, obviously, Lord was a really accomplished guitarist, so he may have contributed a lot more to the guitar um, arsenal in ten cc Mark One than than yeah. is known because it it really does hark back. He's making his debut on bass there, isn't he? Um, I mean, a lol, that is. Mm. Uh, there's a bit of... There's, 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 some, there's some bass guitar in there. Yeah. Yeah, and there isn't that much bass guitar on Consequences. No, that, it's that's... All, it's mainly contributed from the gizmo, from the gizmo cello, that, the gizmo bass. That's right, it's noticeable when it comes in. Yeah, definitely. Talk to us about the, the ending of, of The Flood, that, that hugely dramatic ending to the song. It, it's great after the um, artificial end of the concert itself, which we, we've said maybe Godly and Cream getting Tennessee see out of their systems <laughs> by just letting it all hang out and finishing the concert. Um, uh, it's clearly raining heavily, uh, and you've got a, a voice, the promoter or somebody, saying maybe if we cheer loud enough we can stop <laughs> this rain, which yeah. is immediately overtaken by this deluge of a, of a tsunami mm. um, covering the crowd. And then what, what I hear from that point is, again, this uh, viewpoint. We're taken literally inside the head of a, of a concert goer yeah. who one would imagine is submerged yeah. because you're hearing underwater sounds. And that really, really piercing high pitch Which hurts, actually hurts the ears. It it's, does. It's quite, a, it's quite a, 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 an out there sound. To and put it follows you around the house as well. You can't get away from yeah, it. Yeah, it, 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 you know, you, some, you accidentally hear this sound sometimes, but this is being deliberately put here. And it really is, uh, it's, you know, it's the ringing in the ears that, that, mm. that you might experience after a concert. And then this very uh, ominous uh, heartbeat, mm. at first steady, and then the, the beat's, the space between the beats get uh, further and further and mm. and this guy's on the way out and mm. again it's this use of silence yeah. the beats get further and further out and you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting you hear the last beat and it's a long tail isn't it that at the end of that yeah, song yeah it's deliberate uh, and you know you were saying earlier Sean about the the possibilities for animating let's call it side 1 and side 2 mm. and that would be an incredible end point you know, an incredible journey that the listener's taken on from, uh, uh, taken on over the course of these 30, 35, 40 minutes or so. I don't know how long the first two sides are. Yeah, about 40, I think. Yeah, extraordinary. It really is. 
Uh, there's been quite a few valid points made on the on the Facebook groups um, since we we launched the the first episode a couple of weeks ago. A few people saying it would have been you know it would have done far better as a single album. It would have had a better legacy. It would have been more successful. All the rest of it. Do you think sides one and two could have worked on their own as a sort of conceptual piece? They could have worked um, in terms of um, allowing Godly and Cream to produce an album and then step back inside the 10cc machine. Just looking at the timeline again, the deadline for the beginning of the recording of the, the fifth 10cc album, which eventually became Deceptive Benz, was going to be January 77. Mm. And that would have given Godly and Cream, okay, they wouldn't have been able to complete side two. But if, if they had been prepared to stop uh, and, and, and just produce this, this single uh, album, side one and side two, um, it, it, it could have worked. Um, it, w- it, it, it wouldn't, I can't imagine this would have been a big seller, this album, but it would have been a cult favourite. Yeah. Uh, undoubtedly. I mean, what we've talked about already is an, an, an amazing achievement artistically. Yeah, and when you think about I mean, we're big fans of, of prog rock. And surely prog rock fans would have flocked to this, wouldn't they? Uh, Don't you think? Yeah, I think prog rock's an interesting... Although a lot of the actual music within prog rock is relatively conventional, Mm. I think. Uh, Well, it's an umbrella term... The best prog rock, arguably, has... Pop songs in the middle, buried in the middle of yeah, it, doesn't n- it? Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. But yeah. but side one and two of consequences doesn't really have any songs. I mean, there's Honolulu Lulu. That's the only mm. song. Mm. So th- this really is progressive music. It mm. is asking people to take a leap. Yeah. So I I don't know whether it would have been that successful commercially. I don't think that matters. Mm. Uh, but um, uh, as I was saying, it, if uh, Kevin Lowell were, would have been prepared to step back into the machine after releasing this album as a single album, uh, maybe 10TC could have kept together. But I don't think they, they couldn't stop themselves, could they? They were on, a, they were on this roll and that they, the, the project was expanding and they just had to do it. Mm. And there was no way they were going to shut down and go back inside 10cc. No. And if we'd been in their shoes, we'd have done exactly the same, wouldn't we? If only, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. I love, I love side, sides one and two. I think uh, if I had to Desert Island one of the, one of the LPs, right. if there was only room in my, on my raft for one piece of plastic <laughs> from this album, it would definitely be disc one. Mm. Well, if you're asking me, I think I would have to pick side three sides three and four mm. because i can't i can't do without what peter cook brings to the project as a whole me neither so you know this is very much a kind of sophie's sophie's <laughs> choice yeah interesting yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into to the blint and his chums oh me too see you next time folks see ya been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening